Hello everybody, it's time for the Bookworm on BadRadioInternational.com I'm your host Ed Fortune and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes So, coming up on this show, we are talking about books because that's what we do uh, I will be talking about The Wicked and the Divine, which is a happy story about young people and gods, and you'll be talking about... Young people and gods. It's like you have a theme. It's like I know. It's uh, I'll be looking at the um, Heroes of Olympus series by um, Rick Riordan, uh, which is the second series he's written around the world of Percy Jackson. Um, but coming up next, because it's... I'm sorry, but the adverts are saying it's almost Christmas, so we're in the corporate Christmas phase, and so we're going to talk to you about gifts as books, or books as gifts even. So that's what's coming up next. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So sometimes on the show, as you know, we will skip the entire concept of talking about the latest news of the world of books, sometimes because not much is happening, sometimes because actually we're somewhere else and this is a a recording. Um, Well, I'll leave it up to, as an exercise to the listeners, to decide which one of these are, but uh, you can contact us on social media with your guesses. We are available as Radio Bookworm on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, probably Ello, if anyone's on Ello these days. Um... Mixcloud, iTunes, you can also contact the station that way via fabradiointernational.com um, but skipping past that bit because it's a bit boring um, <coughs> let's be honest because you're probably already here and you, you know what we're all about well you know there might be some new listeners you don't know that do you know what I, I, I never really see and I know they still exist but I never really see them book vouchers <laughs> it, it's just one of those things I used to love getting book vouchers as a kid um, I got book tokens yeah and you could use them anywhere Presumably, that's why you don't see them as much. Because what? Because there's not. You can't use them anywhere anymore. Well, a there's less bookshops. Um, B, you know, you buy it in bookshop A, you spend it in bookshop B. Where's the money flow there? How does that work? I'm assuming there is some sort of book token head office that deals with that. Mm. But is it still going? It's like there was a glorious scheme. Well, no, because you can still buy book tokens. You can, you can, but they keep very quiet about it. What they do, I think they promote them mo- more in terms of schools. So schools do use book tokens quite a lot. Uh, however, for the uh, mere human trying to buy books as gifts or for themselves, mm. uh, the most accessible thing to do is getting gift vouchers from the, your, your book store of choice really nowadays I, I suspect this is one of those corporate interest things where the entire point of a, a, you know, a book voucher was that it was to encourage reading and the people giving them didn't care where you bought them from. Yeah. I can remember as a child getting into horrendous trouble because I picked up um, Giles Branworth Big Book of Spies when I was a kid because I loved his stuff because mm-hmm. he used to write really fun kids books Yeah. Um, and it says on the back if you have bought this book do not tell them that you have bought this book claim that you wanted to get Winnie the Pooh or something yeah. because it was a spy book and I told my mum this and she didn't get the joke it, because you know oddly enough I got I got told off for, for not buying a book that I wanted the, the thing that about book tokens was that you had to spend the whole thing in one go whereas now if you went to you know 
Waterstones, for example, and bought a gift card, you could do the thing where you call it off a bit at a time. Yeah. But Which I, I think actually you can even slightly recharge them. So, yeah, you know. I, I, and I quite like that idea that you can just buy, you know, a little book. It's also one of those things where you know, if if you do have a book voucher and you've been lucky enough to get a book voucher, um, actually you're into books, you're listening to a book show, so there's no point to say don't buy all the tat. But who do buy it all? Because the, there's like you know, you can buy like a Harry Potter hat stand and you know else. some yeah, but so, some time ago I was the girl that went in and if I had a twenty pound voucher I spent thirty quid. And yeah, spent yeah, the yeah, yeah. Because I wanted all of the books. Nowadays I've, I've become a little more selective in what I get. Um, so I'll go in and I actually I will just buy the books that I know I'm going to read in the next couple of months uh, because otherwise you end up with what um, you book reader out there are familiar as the infamous TBR. My my TBR is admittedly huge. Yes. Um, got. It's, it's just it, you just don't Ble- catch up. Bless, bless them and love them. My relatives have have lovingly for me over the years bought me books that I have requested for mm-hmm. Christmas and other gifting opportunities, um, and then stuff has happened in life and I've not quite got round to it. And the stack must now be six foot high, quite um, seriously. And I want to read these books. I do. I desperately want to read them, <laughs> but just finding the time with everything I, else. I have two shelves. I have the to be read for this show and for all the stuff that I do that involves reading books and I have to be read for pleasure and I have uh, some Tim Powers books that I desperately want to read and just haven't had a chance um, there they are some, some fairly major releases that I would love to have read but because someone else who works for the magazine or for, for the station or whatever has got there first I just haven't been able to you know See my buy. issue is a lot of the books I buy for myself the ones that I'm desperate for when it comes you know around Christmas time my family buys for me and usually for some reason I always end up reading the ones that I bought for me first and then the ones that I bought for myself um, somehow it's not the time anymore so I look at them and I go oh I don't fancy that now and then they just stand there for ages and ages this entire segment was supposed to be about gift buying advice but what's what's happened is we've gone it's a minefield out there just buy books (laughs) it is I think I think the moral of the story is buy books that really make you excited and yeah it's great to have a to be read pile because you know in, in, in a moment where you finish your book and you don't know what to read you've always got a backup plan which you know it's clever however make sure that that backup plan doesn't include books that you bought 10 years ago because <laughs> most likely you're not going to be in the mood to read them anymore I would say and this is my, my top advice for gifts if you're looking for gifts to give to people as books buy anthologies because the thing with anthology is they will read at least one from Chris on Christmas Day or Boxing Day they'll have because anthologies are easy you can read a single short oh yeah story. You, you read a story walk away and then come back three months later and read another two or three um, I would say my, my top advice is any anthology that has been edited by Melinda Snodgrass is definitely a goal anything that's got um, George R. R. Martin's name on it and is an anthology yes please George R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass or a team go for that um, Jonathan Strahan uh, he is an editor par excellence. He has done loads of anthologies, mostly mm. sci-fi. Um, yes, look See, for the editors. Don't look for the don't look for the individual stories. Look for the editors when it comes to anthologies, because you want Melinda Snodgrass, Jonathan Strahan, 
or John Oliver. Not that John Oliver, different John Oliver. But that John Oliver would be good as well, I think. He's got the boot out, actually. Has he? Oh, this is shocking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is a boot show, we planned this. It's, it's, it's on, um, it's, it's available on Hachette. Oh. Now available on Amazon because, oh, they're, because they're in love. They love each other. We knew it. We knew it. Um, so, what's on your book wish list for Christmas Ooh, that, that you're not going to be sent for review in any event? Oh, blimey. Oh, girl, girl. Oh, do, 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 do. Is it Tim. World of Eyes on Fire? Is it the, the, the new George World of Eyes on Fire. Yeah. That's so pretty. It makes me cry. It's so gorgeous. The book I would dearly love to have my hands on, and I just simply won't get, is Tim Powers has a new one uh, available on Subterranean Press. Oh, and the God. reason the reason I won't get it is because it's a limited edition. And it, yeah. Leather-bound, leather beautiful thing. And, you know, even... I won't get it for Christmas because, you know, even my nearest and dearest will look at that and go, How much? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Excuse me? I, and we have too many books already. You can get it in an anthology in two years' time. You'll be fine. If, um, if money was no object, would you also be going for the Sandman Omnibus volume? Oh, <gasps> my word, yes. Oh, um, I, I, I would, in fact, do the Sandman Omnibus. Um, I believe there's a Lucifer one as well. Um, you see, you mentioned Subterranean Press, and it, pretty much every year they do a limited edition hardback of a Kelly Armstrong story. And I think there's one this year as well, which has been released on you know ebook, and you can download it on all the ebook platforms. However, they are so pretty, and I've never managed to get me one because they go like they sell out in literally minutes. Do you ever get the feeling that you know normal people wander past? The, like the Lamborghini place and go, oh, cars, oh, I'd love one of those. And we want the past, the Subterranean past, uh, Press website and go, oh. I wish I could lick it and make it mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's an interesting point, actually. That's very, how it works. Very, very pretty, beautiful books oh, as, yeah. as just as a gift, as an actual physical thing. Yeah, I mean, if you've got, if, if money is no object and, you know, you've got someone dear and near to you that you think, I really want to give them something beautiful and you know you're in, they're into books, there's loads of books that actually get released in limited editions. In, they're hardbound, you know, some of them are leather bound, some of them have got special, um, you know, covers or dust covers and they have illustrations or anything that makes it different. That's a, always a winner. Always a winner. Um, someone I, I, posted... I would say about limited editions, by the way, every, every lots of limited edition books are beautiful and worth it. Not all of them are. They are certain publishers. <laughs> Step away. Step away. Shall remain nameless who produce a limited edition of one of their works every couple of weeks, or it seems, or at least every It's not month. that limited then, really, is it? That, no. No, it limited to, 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 ten pounds, limited to anyone who orders it. Um, in this very narrow window of time, and in fairness, they, they do tend to produce like three thousand, four thousand editions, and then mm. eventually you get them get them in two years' time in an anthology or whatever. Yeah, I, I have to I have to say I do I do appreciate as you say the special edition with the extra artwork and things. You know, the hardcover yeah. and, the, and the, essentially sort of the coffee table book. If any of Absolutely. us had coffee tables these days. See, I was very disappointed a couple of years back. I tried to get a... There was an, a Babylon 5 coffee table released. Uh, and I actually ordered it. And, oh, my God, it cost me an arm, an eye, and a kidney. Uh, but I really wanted it for my hu- husband. And, and 
and I ordered it from Kaffa Brass and it never arrived. <gasps> oh my goodness. So I got my money back because I actually was clever enough and you know, you can slag them off, but I ordered it through Amazon and because I did that, I yeah. actually got the oh, refund okay. within days. Uh, but really, I wanted that book. Yeah. You know, I wanted the shiny, beautiful, incredible coffee table. A coffee table house that has it's never, beautiful. a coffee table publishing house that's never stayed me wrong thus yet is the Bolt. Okay. Um, they they do stuff like they do like Doctor Who Bolt book. Mm. That's a Galactica Bolt book. Um, they did an alien. The alien one is ridiculous. The alien one's got like a, it's got like a sleeping alien wrapped around it. And it's in resin. They have to kind of pull it open and undo its tail. And there's this illust- mm. Geiger illustration after Geiger illustration. Absolutely gorgeous. Costs an arm and a leg, as you say. Yeah. And will not fit on the shelf. It's clearly designed. No, to it's designed to be somewhere that you know. On display, exactly. It's it, it's a display item. You know, you don't want to even touch it because it just costs you, you know, three hundred dollars, and you're like, I'm not touching that. But it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. But there's, there's, for example, there's a Harry Potter one that's got like posters and things inside it. Really Where? What? Why do I not know about this? Also, what was what was the? Uh, I've seen something earlier this year that's got it's it's sort of like a pop up book, but that's really underselling it. Of the um, is it the Game of Thrones locations? Oh, oh that looked gorgeous. Yes. So books to gift, you know, these are yeah. always if, if, good if, ideas. If your budget's slightly more restricted, uh, Sir Terry Pratchett recently, relatively recently, released a, a book, Steam, I believe it was. Uh, oh, it came out in October. Last year. Last year? This oh. year, he's, they've done a, a collection of his essays. Oh. And uh, I was reading. Contains books. Tears. Contains Tears. Uh, our copy, my copy, Contains Tears, because I was reading it last, I was reading it a couple of nights ago, and um, it was just too much, to be honest. The other thing, if your budget is restricted, is, you know, um, signed copies. And you can actually grab them through, you know, online. There's a few retailers that do have specific authors. Um, there's um, The authors will let you know if they've signed copies in certain bookstores and they're available. And even from the States, some bookstores will send out to you know the locations mm. in the world yes it will cost you a little bit more with the postage and package however you know a signed book and sometimes you know if you're lucky you can even get them to sort of personalize it um people like um kelly armstrong does it richelle mead does it um neil gaiman does it a lot of authors prefer to sign it because they like the personal touch absolutely and the, you know they don't like the to ebay style thing yeah of, of that kind of extra value I actually don't mind. I, I, I sometimes I will do the thing where it's like, can I just have your signature, please? Yeah. Because at some point I might want to give this away to a family member who who doesn't have my name, mm. um, and they tend to be more understanding of that. Yeah, I, I prefer my name on it because I think even if it does pass on to someone else, it's a nice memory of the fact that this belonged to you know Great Aunt Ninfa. So, so, <laughs> so, so our advice for books uh, buy some. presents is buy some. Buy some. Buy all. And enjoy. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. So, every once in a while on this show, we do comic books, uh, we do sequential art, graphic novels, um, funny pictures. 
however you want to describe them, uh, because as far as I'm concerned, they're part of the book genre. And if you disagree, you can get in touch with us via the usual channels. If you don't know what the usual channels are, you should listen to the show again. <laughs> Radio Bookworm. Radio Bookworm on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. So I'm going to be talking about The Wicked plus The Divine, uh, The Faust Act. Yes, it's a pun. Yes, it's painful. Yes, I'm a hypocrite for saying that. Uh, written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Jamie McKelvey, and coloured by Matthew Wilson. So that's available on Image. And the, the plot of The Wicked plus The Divine is this. So you're a young person, say you're a teenager, and you get an offer, a deal. The gods can come to you, and for two years, you will be a god. Mm, what's the downside? Oh, you've got two years. And then no one hears about you after that. Mm. You're probably dead mm-hmm. because you live you live very fast and leave an extremely good-looking corpse. Um, the thing is, everyone adores you, and this is the thing. So, it's set in the modern day. It's been 90 years since the gods have appeared. There have been records of the gods appearing. But it kind of it glosses <coughs> over that, that whole cycle of things. It's, it's a, certainly it's happened before. Mm-hmm. But this is the modern age James of more. Stain, you know. Well, well, not years. So <laughs> we've got, you know, there's, there's there's records, but it's not really mentioned. It's not really covered. It hasn't been covered so far in this particular year because it's an introduction to the world. Right. Um, and they're, they're they're sort of superstars. So the first time we meet them, um, we've got people going to go and see, you know, like a pop concert. Yeah. Essentially, so we go and see a Japanese sun goddess. And she's beautiful, and she's radiant, and oh my god, I love her, <laughs> sort of thing. And, and the kids, kids are essentially drawing the gods on the back of their, their their folders and have the t-shirt. But it's also very kind of underground. Now, um, Gillen and McKelvey are better known for Phonogram, which is all about being young, single, um, well, not necessarily single, but being young and into music and powers of music. And the thing with the Wicked plus the Divine is it very much has a beat it's like you know it's it's kind of like it's almost like a Motown uh, you know an occult Motown track kind of mm. thing, that kind of strangeness and weirdness but the story focuses on a fan called Laura who is drawn toward to um, someone called Lucy that'd be short for Lucifer then mm-hmm. dressed uh, dressed in white um Looking fantastic, and the thing is, is that the the gods are kind of they're swanning around, and they've got their worshippers, and they've got their fans, but people are still being very skeptical about their existence. So, so people are like pretty much, yeah, well, that's clearly special effects. This is clearly mm-hmm. a thing, you know. This is a, CGI for the win. Yeah, it's all very cleverly staged. You're a celebrity act. It's a, it's a whole thing. You're not gods. Go away. Stop being, you know, stop being so terribly controversial. We've seen it all before. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You can snap your fingers, Elizabeth, and make fire appear. Yeah, you've, you've clearly got special effects going on yeah. there, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and then without giving away too many spoilers, there is a murder, and it can only be a murder by something incredibly unnatural. Mm. Um, so Laura tries to help her friend. I say friend. Her friend is kind of Lucifer, so it's not <clears throat> really a friend. Shall we say it? What we get is um, beautifully well delivered, high speed, and each kind of it's a each chapter is essentially its own single, its own little song. It's got its own little bit rhythm. It's got its own little pace. Uh, it reads in that kind of speed and direction. 
I really enjoyed it, as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clever. It's pretty. It's high-paced. Um, it, each kind of chapter t- tries to tell a slightly different story. Um, about midway through, I was going, this is very nice, but I've seen it before. I've seen this with Phonogram. I've seen this with Young Avengers. I'm pretty sure this is the same story that, uh, pow, change of rhythm, change of beat, ah. Oh, I see what they're doing now. Um, I particularly like the way uh, the Morrigan and the Underground. This is a wonderful scene where we meet the Morrigan. Um, she of the quick costume change, shall we say? Um, underground in London, and you've got this whole kind of kind of Camden Town indie scene appeal to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very clever. It's very well done. Uh, it's a bit pretty. Um, I'm horribly biased because I, I like the creators behind this as well. I think they're very good. Um, but yes, stylish, clever, well observed, um, very much. I like the fact that Lucifer looks like Bowie because Bowie's kind of iconic, mm. and you've got this kind of this whole mixing of celeb culture and pop culture, and also mythology. Um, um, is it adult? Is it young adult? Is it both? I would say it's realistic young adult rather than uh, what some people call the young adult. If you see mm. what I mean. So it's, you know, teenagers will have no problem reading it. Okay. Um, in the same way that teenagers have no problem reading Sailor Moon. Okay. So, you know, it's it's probably young adult rather than rather than condescending. At no point does it talk down. Okay. Um, it's aimed at comic book readers. I think it's just aimed at people who appreciate music and gods. How easy is it to read? I mean, if I was someone that's new to the graphic novel world, would I, would I get into it or would, would it be a bit hard to reach at first um, the interesting thing about Gill and McKelvey is they're very 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 aware of using the sequential art medium to its maximum effect so they, they understand that because you sometimes you'll read a comic book and it'll be like six panels six panels six panels six panels it's like why have you bothered why have you, you know, why, why have you just why haven't you just written a novel or something um, whereas they are completely aware of what they're doing and they know how to tell a story through the panels extremely well okay. um, so you'll pick it up really quickly. If this is your first comic book, you're in for a treat. Um, but it uses the storytelling medium that is sequential art extremely well. Okay, cool. Um, it's particularly well in one one or two themes. So just remind us what it is. It's called The Wicked Plus The Divine, The Faust Act. It is a trade paperback. It is published by Image. And the writer is Kieran Gillen, and the artist is Jamie McCalvey, and the colourist is Matthew Wilson. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. So we talked to Celeste Ng about her latest latest work, and by her latest work I mean debut novel, and um, she was completely lovely. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Celeste Ng, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Tell me about your book, please. Um, well, this is my first novel. It's called Everything I Never Told You, and it uh, is the story of the Lee family, who are a mixed-race family. They're, the father is an Asian-American, first-generation Chinese, and the mother is a white woman from Virginia. And they have three children. And when the novel opens, the middle child, Lydia, who is 16 and who is her family's favorite, has disappeared. And the family soon learns that she's been drowned in the local lake, 
And this sort of exposes a web of family secrets, all the sort of things that the family has been hiding from each other and not willing to talk about and that they're going to have to um, wrestle with if they're going to overcome this tragedy. Where did the idea for the book come from? Um, the idea for the story actually came from just uh, chatting with my husband. He was reminiscing about his school days and um, recalled one day uh, when he was about eight years old that a friend of his um, pushed his own little sister into a lake in the in the park. And um, his little sister was about five at the time. So fortunately, uh, their parents were nearby and were able to pull her out and everyone was fine and his friend was, you know, in trouble. And for some reason, this idea of a, um, a girl falling into the lake like that really stuck with me. I kept thinking, what was this brother-sister relationship like that he would have pushed her into the water? And then what was it going to be like after she had been fished out and he had pushed her into the water? And um, then I started thinking, of course, what would have happened if the parents had not been around? Um, if no one had been there to save this girl, what would have happened? And so I started to write about a girl falling into the water, and the story changed, as it often does. Um, when I'm writing, the, the girl in my novel obviously is 16 and not 5, and the circumstances of her, dif her death are, are quite different. But um, something about that image of the girl falling into the water that sort of sparked this story. Maybe it's because I'm actually a terrible swimmer myself. Where do you think the fear of water comes from? I don't know. I think it is sort of a primal thing. In some ways, my sister also has a sort of fear of flood water, and she jokes that she must have died in the past in a flood, and that's why she's so afraid of it. Um, but I think there's something about it that's so um, that's so impersonal in a way. A, a body of water, you know, it can be so beautiful, and yet, you know, anyone who who's been out in the water and gotten caught in an undertow. Anyone who's out, uh, who's been out in a boat and has gotten caught in a storm, you know that all of a sudden the water can sort of turn on you. And there's this reminder that it doesn't care. Um, it's not a human force in any way. There's no rash, you know, reasoning with it. It's not rational. Um, and I, uh, as you can probably tell from <laughs> the beginning of this answer, I come from a sort of scientific background. My, my parents are both scientists and um, I studied a lot of science growing up. And water is kind of this amazing thing that, that we don't have anywhere else. Um, it can wear down stone given enough time, um, and yet you need it for life. There's something that I feel like, you know, humans are drawn to water, and yet at the same time it's a force that's more powerful than we reckon with. Why lit fiction? Well, that's uh, that's a kind of fiction that I'm always drawn to writing for some reason. Um, I've always, um, ever since I started writing fiction, been most interested in in personal relationships and especially family relationships. Um, I just think it's such a rich territory. Um, and so people have come to this book, I think, thinking of it as sort of a, a mystery, and I guess that it is a mystery. But for me, it was always going to be about the family and the secrets that they had. Um, I just I find that fascinating, all the ways that you can be so close to someone. You can share blood and DNA with them, and yet there are things about them that you maybe don't know, and that sometimes even after they die, you find out that there were things that they never told you. What's next? Um, well, I've started on another novel. Um, I haven't got very far into it just yet, or not as far as I'd like, because um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do some book promotion for this novel, and that's taken up some time, and I've got a four-year-old little boy at home, and so that takes up quite a bit of time, too. Um, but I've started working on another novel that I think is going to be set in my hometown, which is a little suburb of Cleveland um, in Ohio. And uh, it's a, it was a beautiful place to grow up, and I, I loved it. I don't know of another place like it. Um, you know, it's beautiful houses, trees literally on every lawn, um, very progressive, very racially integrated. Um, and yet it's the sort of place that's got a little bit of an obsession with appearance and being perfect. Um, they planned out the city so that 
No children would have to walk, you know, cross any big streets to get to school. You're not allowed on garbage day to put your garbage out on the curb, which is what we usually do here in the States. You have to leave it at the back of your house. And there are very small garbage trucks that drive down your driveway to pick up the garbage in the back so that the front of your house never looks messy, um, which seems very metaphorically rich to me. Um, so I'm working on a family story that's going to be set um, in Shaker Heights, my hometown, and uh, some little disruptions, I think, that are going to come into their life. What is the genre of literary fiction for? What's it for? I think, well, I, I would say like literary fiction is what you've got left over when you've taken out, you know, everything you can call a mystery and everything you can call a romance and everything you can call sci-fi. Um, but I think at heart, it's really um, maybe to get people to look at their own lives and try to empathize with other people in the most direct way. Um, as you said, I think in fantasy or science fiction, of course, um, it's always in some ways about humans and human needs and human emotions and desires. But it's a little bit easier to see it if you're, you know, for example, you've got a talking lion who's guiding children through, you know, this magical world that they found and fighting evil. We can see parallels there because they're a little bit removed from us. And in literary fiction, when you're theoretically, you haven't got any supernatural beings, you haven't got magic, you know, you're mostly dealing with humans as close to they, you know, to real life as they are. I think the goal of it is really to try and still get people to just imagine what it's like to be another person or to have an experience that they haven't had um, and to try and get them to question what's going on in their own lives and to find connections. Where do you draw your inspiration? Um, for this book, um, my mother was actually quite a big source of inspiration for me. Um, she's not at all like the mother in the book, thank goodness. The mother in the book is... Um, is quite demanding of her daughter, actually. Um, and my mother, thankfully, is, is quite easygoing. But my mother is a chemist um, and was a woman chemist getting her PhD in the 70s and going to college in the 60s when, you know, science and particular chemistry were still very male-dominated. And I saw her sort of, you know, working her way into a field that traditionally is for men. Um, and she became a college professor, uh, taught at the university, you know, did her own research. And um, I saw sort of the struggles that she had. And um, in a lot of ways, she was one of the inspirations for the book in general. She, in some ways, is a lot of ways the opposite of the mother in the book. So is family a strong source of inspiration for you? Um, yes, I'd say so. Um, you know, the, the family in the novel isn't an analog to my family and the events that happen aren't autobiographical, but I certainly did draw on my family and my family's experience. Um, I grew up in a Chinese American family. I'm a first generation Chinese American, um, in the Midwest and in places where we were one of very few Asian families. And that's, quite an interesting experience to have when you just look different than everybody else does. Um, you don't always remember that you look different, but then other people will often remind you that they feel that you're different. Um, and so that was definitely something that I drew on for, for the book, where the family is the only Asian family in their neighborhood. If you were trapped on a desert island and only had one book for company, what would it be? This is a much more difficult question than it ought to be, isn't it? Um, I... I think that I might, um, the book that I used to take with me on every trip um, from when I was a child up until I was about 20, every time I traveled, I would always take The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas in it, uh, with me, and I would just read it over again. And so I've probably read it about 20 to 30 times, I would say. Um, and it's a book, it's a classic, you know, and it's a classic for a reason. It's got a lot in it. And at every age when I've read it, I've 
I've um, I've sort of been captured by different things. When I was a, an adolescent and a teenager, I was sort of captured by the love stories that happen in the book. And when I got a bit older, I was sort of seduced by the adventure stories that are happening there. And then now that I've gotten even older, um, I'm really interested in the sort of moral questions that the book raises. Um, if you've read it, there's a character who's been wrongly imprisoned and he comes back to seek revenge on the people who've put him in prison. And it raises a lot of questions about who's who's really allowed to dole out revenge and how far can you go before you yourself um, have sort of stepped over the line. So it's a book that I've read over and over and one that I suspect I'll probably keep reading over and over for the rest of my life. So maybe that's the best choice. Truth or beauty? Truth. Oh, that was a hard one. <laughs> and just remind us, what what is the book called again? It's called Everything I Never Told You. Celeste Ng, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. It was really a pleasure. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome back, listeners. You're um, obviously listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes, and I'm here with the lovely Ed Fortune. Hello. Uh, we've just listened to Ed's interview with Celeste Ng. Ng. Uh, forgive me. Um, and today we have a bit of a theme. Um, God's young people and the things that happen with the two mix. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Is it? <laughs> it, it never ends well, or does it? Um, Today I'm looking at the Heroes of Olympus series by Rick Riordan, um, well known for his Percy Jackson series. So, still within the Percy Jackson world, um, this is his second big massive series um, in sort of like the uh, Greek mythology world. Um, For those of you that have never heard of Percy Jackson, uh, the first series, uh, the Percy Jackson series, uh, is comprised by five main books, and then you have uh, the Demigod Files and the Percy Jackson and the Greek Gods um, book as well, which is a book where basically Percy talks about what he knows about the Greek Gods, uh, which is actually quite funny. Um, The second series in the Percy Jackson world, the Heroes of Olympus series, which is the one I'm talking about, um, is um, five books um, with a a sex um, book called The Demigod Diaries, which is sort of like a companion to the series. Um, I've just literally finished to read the last book in the series, which is The Blood of Olympus. Uh, And it's amazing. So what's it about? What is it about? Um, Right. um, In the first book of the series, The Lost Hero, uh, we get to meet uh, three new demigods. Um, Jason, um, Leo and Piper and Jason has no memory of who he is um, but he, he he's on the way somewhere and he's got sort of like this this idea that 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 he needs to get to this place because there's something really important that he needs to do um, so together with Leo and Piper he's on his way to Camp Half-Blood uh, for those of you who have read or even watched the two movies, Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief and Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters, uh, we'll know that Camp Half-Blood is a place where demigods can go and be safe because the rest of the world isn't safe. It's full of mythological monsters that literally want to gobble you up. Um, and generically speaking, um, young demigods don't have a very long lifespan because of this. Um, so Camp Half-Blood is protected um, 
thanks to the sacrifice of a specific demigod. Um, and uh, that's where they're headed. Um, and this is a, a camp where the uh, children of um, Greek gods um, thrive. They have their own cabins where, you know, they, they sort of get together and make this big family of children that have kind of been abandoned by their, their godly parent. Um, so the, the, the Heroes of Olympus series starts with sort of following Jason and, and his adventure to get there. Um, and what you soon realise is Jason is not like the other demigods. There's something a bit special about him. Ooh. Uh, in fact, as you explore the series, you soon find out Jason actually isn't the son of a Greek god. He's the son of a Roman god. Ooh, that's interesting, given the fact that they're almost the same thing. Yes, and I'm glad you said that because most of the plot of the Heroes of Olympus um, series revolves around the fact that the Greek gods and the Roman gods, who it's it's very subtle the way they're described because uh, they're not the same, but in a way they are. And in most of the series, they're s- sort of suffering from split personality. Right. So they've gone a bit bonkers and things are happening and Gaia, the, the titan of the earth, is waking up and her children, her most beloved children, the giants, are waking up and, and managing to escape Tartarus where they were thrown by the great gods in ancient times. Um, so it's, it's literally running against time to make sure Gaia doesn't wake, to make sure they fix the gods because... As long as the gods are infixed, war is upon Camp um, Half-Blood and Camp Jupiter, which is the Roman camp that we've never even knew, known existed until this series pops up. Um, and then the second book is where um, we meet uh, a certain demigod that we're very well acquainted with. It's called the Son of Neptune. And for those of you that don't know, Neptune is Poseidon in Roman mythology. Uh, so you, you can imagine who the book is about. Um, right. Would that be a Mr. Jackson? It would be a Mr. Jackson. Um, so, is it good? No, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm such a big, big fan of of. Percy Jackson in general but the Heroes of Olympus I went into it a little sort of scared of what what else could could Mr. Riordan possibly have to say and oh my god a lot <laughs> um, there's a fantastic amount of plots that just come together and the thing is um, for those of you who read the Percy Jacksons there's a, a one more prophecy that's uh, announced at the end of uh, the series and basically what the Heroes of Olympus does is picks up from that prophecy and it tells you about the seven demigods that go into this massive quest two of them are Percy and Jason but there's another five and all of them are heroes in their own right they all have a fantastic background story, they all have a lot to say, they're all different and yet they all come together beautifully just to obviously get into this incredible adventure um, it's very enjoyable it's very fast paced there's shed loads of mythology thrown in but it's 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 got that sort of dry almost sarcastic humour about the approach to the gods that I've come to love in the Percy Jackson series and that sort of carries through um, the whole of the Heroes of Olympus series as well um, there's um, some new characters that, that you get to meet and completely and utterly fall in love with I absolutely love Leo uh, who's one um, of the characters of the seven demigods and 
that his whole story is just so sweet and and so beautiful uh, but all of it it just works brilliantly together and it's definitely one to read so if you haven't uh, I would certainly say please pick up the Percy Jackson series first right. because it's a massive introduction to a ginormous world and really you could do with knowing where where you're stepping into um, it's not to say that if you want to read you know the Lost Hero first you wouldn't get it because it's it's all very well explained without sounding redundant in you know going over and over the same things it just establishes the world exactly but but because they're both so enjoyable you know if you're gonna start really start from the beginning um, and pick up Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief if you've read the Percy Jackson series and you haven't touched the Heroes of Olympus series yet why not um you know go and get it it, it is just as brilliant so um, what's it called again and um, who's it by? the series is the heroes of olympus series the first book is the lost hero by rick riordan uh, it's on puffin and it's brilliant hey, puffin. um so coming up next we're going to continue to talk about books the world 24 hours a day this is Fanwoodian International so so far, we've talked about two different books, both about gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting thing about the Wicked and Divine, by the way, is it's not a pantheon. It's well, like, I kind of so gathered because you said Lucifer and the Morrigan, and it's just not a pantheon. It's is just it? like a collection of. So you've got like balls in there, um, <laughs> and he's he's really cute. Um, and he was really, really <laughs> I'm cute, glad really. you fancy him. Oh, but, 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 he wouldn't. Um, but he he is as a character designed to be you know uh, kind of the best he can be so he's got that kind of thing going on um with all of them as well because they're all meant to be young and pretty whereas it sounds like the heroes of the uh, of olympus and the, the percy jackson stuff is very stuck into the kind of the mythology of titans and the, the like there is i think obviously because <coughs> you're talking in the first series is is most definitely greek pantheon uh, and then in the second you get the Roman pantheon introduced to that storyline as well but because obviously Roman and Greek were so tied in together because you know most of the Roman pantheon really is just the Greek pantheon in a new dress um, that that kind of sort of meshes well but as you say it's stuck within that m- sort of mythology however there is a third series which is the Egyptian's God series Ooh. and and if you look at the world and sort of look at it that way, um, or y- you kind of know that because those two pantheons are there, then there must be others. Uh, but they kind of they kind of do their own thing until until they don't. <laughs> well, James Lovegrove did a really cool thing with the Age of Shiva, where he essentially took that pantheon. Um, and because he's like, well, pretty much the Vishnu are superhero characters, he did them as a superhero team. <laughs> and the technology that made, made these people into these kind of, you know, God-powered superheroes, he was like, you could do, a, you know, you could potentially do a Greek pantheon, but they didn't. Mm. Um, because he was concentrating on one particular narrow focus. I think that's one of the things with these, is it's 
these sort of stories is you kind of you you either have to go all out and just pick and choose and cherry pick your gods, mm. or you pick a pantheon. And I think it's more. I think for a lot of people, it's easier just to stick to one pantheon because then you can do the whole. I mean, I, I'm I, I've always loved Greek mythology, but reading these books, the amount of myths and legends that revolves around just the one pantheon, it's it's enormous there's there's just so much that i'd never even heard about and there's so much that i know about that hasn't been touched in these books so i think as you say you know you can either cherry pick your gods and mix and match or you can stick to one but whether you do or not you still have so much wealth in terms of what you can delve in and 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 rewrite and change and modernize it's one of those things why I'm mildly gutted why um, Brian Azarello isn't writing Wonder Woman anymore. Because he wrote Wonder Woman as a, as a Greek mythological, mythological character. Mm. Up to the point where, slight spoilers, she ends up being on par with Ares. Oh. Because, you know, she's a goddess of war, pretty yes. much. And you just have this whole thing where, you know, the, the various gods are trying to outmaneuver each other and you get that whole kind of god soap opera. Yes, which, which is what it is, isn't it? I mean, why are these myths so fresh and still beloved nowadays? It's just because it's human nature. You know, you've got the jock, you've got the beauty queen, uh, you've got, you know, mum and dad that that are constantly fighting and constantly making it's, it's, up. It's the original it's, set of tropes, isn't it? It, it is, exactly. It, it's, it's exactly that. I do wonder if I st- stepped outside of TARDIS for 500 years in the future... It, you know, assuming that civilization has has continued on and developed, I do wonder where we would find the DC heroes and the Marvel heroes mm. in that sort of because at some point they they have to you know the culture will move on and we'll find new challenges, but those characters have been with us with us, with us for a long time now mm. and are part of our culture. So I uh, you know are, are people going to be writing stories about? You know, the the son of Batman meeting the son of Zeus and having a fight and this sort of thing. Will isn't that, that been done already? Not well, the pro- son of Batman and the son of Zeus, but really, you know, Batman incarnations have kind of evolved, haven't they? Because you know, it's not it's not Bruce Wayne anymore. It, it, it moves on, and that's uh, but that that that's what I mean is, will that survive a hundred years? Will that survive? Well, it survived years? thousands, so I don't really get. Well, no, no, Why I not? mean, Zeus has survived 100 years. Yeah. Will Batman survive 100 years? I would think will so. Will Iron Man survive 100 years? Oh, which, God, ones, yeah. which ones Which ones? will we keep? Um, mm. Because, you know, you, you say Iron Man, but I, if I say to you, Telemachus, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of... I, the, 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 there's an Egyptian god called Bez. Um, <laughs> okay. Maracas, anyone? Well, he does actually have maracas. <laughs> oh, of course he does. He's got these little. He's got these two little things that he carries, and they're wands. But they still look like maracas, and I'm convinced that Bez from the Happy Mondays is an incarnation of the Egyptian god of the hair. different. That would make so. Yeah, let's move on because we've gone off books. <laughs> we have gone off no, books. Well, kind of. Uh, but who, know. who knows about Bez apart from obviously fans of the Happy Monday? I don't know. I suppose, you know, like everything else, we'll keep the ones that, that meant something to us and, and and then the other ones will just get left behind. But, I mean, you know, the, there's 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 a lot of gods that we don't really, you know... Care about anymore. Exactly. It's not that we don't care, it's just that the stories have gone lost because people don't tell them as much as, you know... Why is there a 12-gods pantheon 
that's sort of like the main council because those are the ones that you carry with you know love war family you know revel uh, that that that's the ones that stay um the other ones might come and go but those will always be with us because it's what life is about you know it's it's what's closer and dearer to us um are we running out we're we're okay for another couple of minutes (laughs) so yeah um so you know i do think batman will stay for example but will, um, it, will it get mixed up? Will we have like Batman and Iron Man, and people go, "Well, technically speaking, they weren't in the same pantheon." Will we call them those pantheons? Will they get us all blended? I think that the the real question there is not whether we will; but it's will whether, yeah. whether exactly, even even to the extent of will the people that call the rights let us? Because, you know, unless you're talking about fan fiction, and I'm pretty sure that's already been done in fanfic, you know, there is a mix of of superhero pantheons out there. Everything has been done in fan fiction. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about, about financial rights there. So, so, you don't know, you know, in... in, in 20 years and 30 years and 50 years oh, wow. we could have DC Marvel could, could it you, could just be one thing could you imagine if the Roman Empire or the Holy Roman Empire and therefore the, the Vatican State and Church imagine imagine if um, rather than rather than going towards Christianity imagine if there's got to be books about this tell us imagine if they stuck with the Roman Pantheon mm. all the way through and they'd continue to produce stories about the Roman Pantheon like you know, like, you know every month the latest latest issue of Apollo comes out, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine if, in a thousand years' time, the the Marvel DC conglomerate has turned itself into its single state somewhere in the world, and it's just still producing these stories? <laughs> but now they've become some sort of like word of the divine. There was oh, I don't know where I've gone I on read a tangent. It. I think yeah, I can't not recall where I read it. Um, it's it's a book that I've read and and. Part of the book's trope is that they go by these gods of the past that are not there anymore, but but they have remnants of of these books and these beautiful um, illustrations and and things. And really, you find out later on that what they're looking at is just gossip magazine, and basically what they're based their religion on is what is left. Uh, of of those, so you know, people like I don't know, Angelina Jolie could be, you know, your, your goddess of beauty and and things like that. I, I cannot recall. I'll have to look it up. There's but. a throwaway gag in one of the Superman comics where someone from the far future contacts Superman to find out who JLo was. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Yes. So we have waffled on about superheroes for. for well, no, God's no, superheroes, superheroes are basically thing. the same thing. Well, you know, Thor is the crossover, isn't he? He's the he's the guy who's crossed over to the appeal. Yes, he he's he's gone from with fabulous hair. With fabulous hair, um, though most people are looking to get Loki rather than Thor. But that's well, I, I I think that's mostly down to Tom Hiddleston and not so much to actual Loki. Uh, it's so interesting actually because he is very he's a very nice and interesting character, but he's only come into the fore when you've put someone pretty in charge of it. I don't see I don't think Tom Hiddleston's pretty. I just think he's really interesting. So he's brought the character to life and made made it interesting to a lot of people who didn't look at him before. Yes, I'd agree. Shall we run away? Yes. <laughs> 
Across the world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. I've been Ed Fortune. I'll I'll be Ed Fortune again at some point soon. (laughs) Goodbye. I'm Nympha Hayes, and you can find us on uh, the Radio Bookworm social media. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Radio Bookworm, Facebook, Radio Bookworm, Tumblr, Radio Bookworm. You can also catch up on the shows on Mixcloud and on iTunes, where you can also subscribe. Goodbye. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson.